2: Thanks for downloading this podcast from Lovesport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more,
3: follow us at Lovesport Radio on Twitter. Hello
2: and welcome to the West Ham Fan Show here on Lovesport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow, and I am with James Jones and Frankie Levin of West Ham World. Gents, how are we? Very good. Thanks you. Good. Yep. Yeah. Surviving thanks. a weird week for West Ham. We talked about the Everton game last week and we called it the inconsistency derby. Two teams with very good squads but who you never quite know which side is going to turn up. West Ham seemed to decide not really to turn up at all and the Everton side who rolled into East London looked pretty impressive.
4: Yeah, it was uh from a West Ham point of view it was a disgrace. Uh that's the only way I can really put it. I don't know how Frankie feels about it but you know, as we've banged on about on this show for so many weeks now, we're unbeaten since beginning of Christmas at home and, you know, we really felt as if, you know, okay, I'm not a big fan of us finishing seventh and I have to start our season in July next year, but at the same time, you've got to, you know, you've got to strive to be as, as, as good as you possibly can in that league, particularly outside the top six. You know, everyone says it's a, it's, it's a mini league within the Premier League, you know, outside of the top six and, you know, you want to be the best of that and that was a good opportunity for us to, okay... Perhaps not finish in the top six, uh, it, uh, finish seventh, but put a little bit of daylight between us and Everton because they were two points behind us, and then and then almost secure a minimum of a top ten finish with a win on Saturday, and they rocked up and they just clearly didn't know what didn't know what they were doing, and the problem I've got is that after two or three minutes it was quite clear that Pellegrini got it completely wrong, completely wrong mm. with his setup. I don't know why he dropped Noble. Um, I don't know. I don't know why Perez was starting. We have not seen him for about three months, and suddenly he's on the starting starting eleven, um, and he got it completely wrong. And and my problem here is that he didn't change it. He didn't. He didn't even try to change it until half time. And the second half was a little bit better, but you know all we did was stop Everton from from attacking us as much as they did in the first half. And you know by then they probably taken their foot off the gas. Everton completely deserved the win. No, one hundred percent deserved it, and we we were awful. Absolutely awful.
5: Yeah, I mean, like you said, our home form has been fantastic of late. Um, and going into this one, we were quite optimistic. But then when I saw that lineup, you had Perez starting, Noble wasn't starting, Obiang was was in for him. Um, yeah, like you said, Pellegrini got the formation completely wrong in the weekend and the tactics, and their midfielder Gomez completely ran the show. Mm. Um, yeah, Declan Rice really struggled because Obiang was just a passenger the whole game, so Rice was trying to cover two positions. Um, as you said, Perez couldn't. Couldn't, couldn't even control the football in the Premier League so I don't know what he's what he's even doing here um but no it just so it was such an annoying man, Frankie oh, <laughs> to be honest Perez. when we signed Perez I was actually I thought that's a decent bit of business four million um didn't get a chance at Arsenal I think he'll be quite a good signing for us but he just hasn't he's been really disappointing and I think that's his career pretty much at West Ham up now
2: So we talked a lot about the fact that Pellegrini got this one wrong. He certainly did nine shots on target in the first half for Mm. Everton, which is terrifying. That's the most at the London Stadium in the Premier League in recent memory. What would you have changed? If you were picking the team, if you were setting the formation, what would you have done differently?
5: See, there was a problem because we had a couple of injuries um, that not many fans knew about. Anderson was out. um, Nasri was out late. But again, he hasn't included Antonio. He's been one of our best players in the past two or three games and he took him off at half-time in our last home game when he was probably our best player and that was confusing and he hasn't started him again so I don't know why he doesn't want to start Antonio but I would have started one up top on Outovich, played Antonio on the wing um, and played Lanzini more central because Lanzini out wide was completely ineffective and that's not what his best position is.
4: I think, I think for me, a lot of people have... Um, have Mark Noble for me, has been a bit of an unsung hero for us this season, particularly alongside Declan Rice. England call-up? I mean, I've been been banging that drum for so many years, but I don't think it's going to happen now. But, no, I I do think that he has been a bit of an unsung hero. At the beginning of the season, he wasn't great, but a a lot of people don't realise that Declan Rice's form has has kind of been thanks to the support he's had from Mark Noble in midfield. Um. And you know, Martin Noble's been allowed to, allowed Declan Rice to sort of play his game and sort of sit deep a little bit and mm. then roam a little bit and you know break up play. But against Everton, without Noble there, Declan Rice looked lost. As you said, Frankie, you know, he, he looked he was ineffective. You know, he, sometimes you know he was running around like headless chicken, didn't really know what to do because he didn't have like his partner in crime in midfield. And I'd, I'd love to know why Martin Noble was left on the bench, and I'd love to know why. Um, after five minutes, and we realised that you know it it, it wasn't working. Mark Noble wasn't reintroduced to the to, to the eleven because that was our big problem. Um, losing Anderson as well for me was was a big was a big problem. I mean, it's the first game he's missed this season. Mm. Towards the end of the season, he's looked pretty good. Um, he's started to defend a little bit well, track back a little bit more, uh, which was you know the problem we had at the beginning of the season where he was all right going forward, but you know he's a bit lazy mm. in, in defence, but. No, we missed him, um, and it was just unfortunate that he picked up and up. we should be back for the Chelsea game.
2: What did you lads make of the defensive performance? Because it seemed way too easy, time and time again, for Everton just to play through you, play round you, any kind of through ball seemed to just release a blue shirt.
4: I don't know, Frankie, I don't know what you, what you think about that. Shocking
5: is one word I'd use our defensive <laughs> display. Um Every time they attacked, they outnumbered us. Um, every time we, well, the rare occasions that we did attack, we were just left at the left, at the, um, absolutely acres of space in behind our defence. Yeah, and they were just playing one, two, three passes through our midfield and goal. After I think it was their second goal where they tapped in. I it was at Bernard. Yeah, um, three passes through our midfield across the across the line of our goal. Bang, two 0 down, game over. Um, so. Pellegrini has a bit of stubbornness about him when it comes to defensive duties. He won't change it unless it's a complete, drastic need for a change, which was the case on the weekend. But it was twenty-five, thirty minutes too late. He's changed, he should change it as soon as he's realising that our tactics aren't working and we're being outplayed. And that stubbornness cost us a game. Do you think we'll see a change
2: for the next starting lineup? Then, do you think he'll just send the same team out and expect a better
5: performance, or is he going to react to your concerns? No, he'll change it because of the injuries we had. Um, he'll bring Anderson back in, I'm pretty sure, if he's fit. Um, Noble, like you said, was pretty crucial to to our midfield when Rice is playing, so we'll probably bring him back in for Obiang, and I don't think Perez will ever play in West Ham shirt again, so... Obviously, the annoying thing about being a West Ham fan, guys, is that they are so
2: inconsistent that you can play well and then lose a game. But the flip side of that is that you could play really, really badly and then win the next one. So, fingers crossed. Stay with us because coming up in just a moment, we'll be chatting to former FA Cup winning West Ham midfielder Jeff Pike. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and James Jones and Frankie Levin of West Ham World. And I'm delighted to say we're also joined on the line by former FA Cup winning midfielder Jeff Pike for West Ham. Jeff, thanks ever so much for joining us. It hasn't been a positive first 10 minutes of the show. Jeff, I'll be honest with you, the word shocking has been used at least 57 times. Were you (laughs) as disappointed as the lads with the performance against Everton?
1: uh well yeah i mean it's it, you know after previous results over over a fairly long period of time you would have expected something a little bit different from that so it was uh, uh disappointing to say the least
4: jeff i mean the way i see uh, this game um and the outcome of it is that we've we've heard all season of you know pellegrini's trying to instill this big team mentality into into his squad and the players' mindset and everything. And we have seen that in stages, but mostly against the top six. Um, And we've seen, you know, that sort of mentality sort of come undone a little bit and unstuck against the teams in and around us, the relegation-threatened teams. Do you think that maybe that big team mentality that that he's trying to do is kind of borderline... Going into arrogance when it comes up against teams that are outside the top six, and the players think, well, you know, they're not. This isn't a top six team, so therefore, we should be beating them because we've got a big team mentality. Uh,
1: I, I think I think that's really difficult to to answer the question based around you know what what do we really know about that? Uh, the, the 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 challenge for me is uh, around how do we how do we maintain uh, some momentum when we get a, a decent result, but you know, because the the the, the results have been up and down. There's never been any real consistency around performance. And whether that's to do with team changes, injuries, or certain individuals within the team that potentially might be going elsewhere or to another continent uh, might have upset the apple cart a little bit. But, uh, you know, when you, you, I was I was in the, uh, the, the club a, a few weeks back, Working with one of the guys that's doing his pro license at the moment, uh, a lad called Liam Manning, and who's uh, assistant with Steve Potts with the under twenty threes, and you see the the stuff that's going on at that level, and you would suggest that uh, there there is that 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 team cohesion, that team mentality, you know, and the and the, the lads are all uh, working and singing from the same hymn sheet, but once they get to that first team level, I'm not sure whether that continues over. Is it is it based around the fact that there's certain individuals that are upsetting the apple cart a little bit?
5: Jeff? from what you've seen so far this season, um, with Pellegrini coming in and the signs he made, what do you think is the biggest issue at the club in terms of our weakest point, and where do you think we need to strengthen in the summer?
1: Um, well, it, it's interesting because uh, I was with uh, Trevor Brookie and Alvin Martin and Phil Parks a week or ten days ago at a, Q and A we did down in Norfolk somewhere in the outer street, uh, out of reaches of uh, Norfolk. And uh, one of the uh, Trevor commented on the fact that he thought that the defence had got better uh, and stronger. Uh, and in free play, that potentially is the case. But um, the, the, the facts and figures and the statistics say that West Ham are the, are the worst in the Premier League at defending corners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so if you if you're conceding a lot of goals from Uh, defending against set plays or corners especially then you're always on the back foot and you're always chasing a game
2: Jeff one thing that James mentioned right at the beginning of the show is just how important Mark Noble is to this team and how he allows Declan Rice to play his game more effectively not just this season but looking at Noble's career at West Ham as a whole how important has he been as a servant for the club
1: oh it's it's massive uh you, when you look at uh the the makeup of the team and you know i mean it it's changed dr- drastically over the years that that Mark's been in the first team in in the respect of overseas players etc etc uh he's the only real one that the fans have got any affinity with to a degree because he he comes out of Upton Park he lived around the corner I can remember him walking home after his first team debut with his mates. Uh, you know, so he, he has an affinity with the, with the fans, and he, he he upholds the the tradition of of West Ham and the way West Ham play. Uh, and yes, he, he gives he gives that freedom, or he gives that opportunity for Declan to to flourish in that midfield. And when Declan made his uh, made his full England debut the other day, I thought he was excellent. You know, so there, there's 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 a, 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 a uh, as uh, a spine in there that is that is pretty decent, you know. But how long Mark will be able to continue to play and be able to do what he wants and be able to help Declan out is another matter.
4: Jeff, what should, what should we be looking to achieve for the for the remainder of this season? Do you think that I mean we're five points away from seventh now, um, so that might be a little bit out of reach given the fixtures we've got remaining, but you know, there's still an opportunity to finish in the top 10. I mean, what, what, what do you think we should be looking to achieve over the next sort of five or six fixtures?
1: Well, there's, there's a couple of things here. And one of the, one of the questions that came up was uh, at this function that we went to recently, this Q&A, was the, uh, the changing of the, the team makeup when we get to, to uh, cup games. And so uh, there was a real strong emphasis from the people in the audience and certainly from the, the panel, the four of us, saying that West Ham should be playing their strongest team in the Cup games because mm. in reality, that might be the only area of uh, success that they might get is through a Cup run and potentially getting to a final of some kind because a lot of the teams play their their, their younger players to help them develop. Uh, so I, th- I think, one, I think that that's, a, that's something that I think West Ham should be aiming for but in reality, you know, when you look at the, the finance and the, the impact of the top six, if that's what you want to call them, then to actually break into any of that, then there needs to be a major, major influx of finance to be able to do that and to be able to attract those uh, those bigger name players to the club. And I'm not sure that that will happen over, over, over the next maybe two to three years or however long that takes before someone comes in and buys the club for mega money.
2: I think you're absolutely bang on about the cup runs, Jeff, because it's also just about giving the fans something to cheer, isn't it? I mean, in a season like this, where if they don't get seventh, an FA Cup run that doesn't end against lower league opposition, I'm not even going to name them, uh, does give the fans something to get behind. It's been lovely chatting to you, Jeff, just before we let you get going. I'm afraid I've got to put you on the spot. It's Chelsea coming up. School prediction?
1: Well, uh, I I don't usually uh, predict scores and and I'm pretty useless at predicting them. uh, So am I, mate, I wouldn't worry. (laughs) (laughs) um, But I I, I would think, uh, and that's not being disrespectful to anybody at the club, but I think Chelsea are probably uh, favourites to win the game. Uh, But I would like to think that we might be able to scrape a draw out of it and if anything more than that will be a bonus.
2: Wonderful. Well, you heard it here first, Jeff. Lovely to speak to you. Thanks for your time. Jeff Pike there, FA Cup winning former West Ham midfielder. Great to chat to him. Stay with us here on the West Ham Fan Show because coming up, how do you solve a problem like Arnautovic? This is Love Sport. It's the West Ham fan show here on Love Sport Radio. And at the weekend against Everton, it wasn't just the performance, wasn't just the result that was disappointing, to be honest, because there were also off-pitch concerns involving the fans and a certain player that have given Pellegrini and you two cause for concern.
5: Yeah, well, Arnatovic was taken off in the second half um, and supposedly had a run-in with a fan when he was taken off. When um, we say run-in, Frankie, sort what, of what are we a talking verbal... <laughs> spat shall we say spat.
2: Um, he had a polite conversation yeah um,
5: but he again he was just one of the el- sort of 9 or 10 players that were po- very poor in that game um, and he did get a lot of stick when he came off, there was a lot of boos from the fans um, and it does look like his time at West Ham is really coming to an end now and I think we're going to struggle to cash in for as much as we wanted to in the summer for him because there's not there's not going to be many clubs that interested anymore because his form's gone off and his head just doesn't look in football right now.
4: The problem I've got with this is that, regardless of whether fans want him to leave, um, I, I completely get you know the way things happened in January was, you know, it was it was out of order from him to to even try and push him move publicly. He was out of order with his brother, his agent, to, to keep going the way he did publicly to push that move to China, but at the end of the day, he is the player in our in our team at the moment that when he's on his game will score us goals, mm. and at the moment, we may as well not play him for the rest of the season, because if the fans aren't going to be behind him, why is he going to play for the football club, because why is he going to play for the fans? So when he got subbed off at the weekend and everyone's booing, I'm looking around going, are you lot serious? Are you lot actually serious? Like, what, what are you booing for? Okay, you're upset about the way he's behaved, but we need this player to, to perform for us, and you, you're you clearly against him, and you've shown he's against him, and so I, I kind of get his reaction when he was sitting on the bench, I, I completely get it, because he's got 60,000 fans there booing him.
2: <laughs> but where, do, where does the blame, but blame Sorry, lie for this? Because I think that's a really interesting point that James has just made. But equally, Arnautovic does have a reputation as quite a difficult bloke. He was highly, highly rated as a teenager, went to Inter under Mourinho. Mourinho was talking him up as this great talent for the future, for the whole of European football. He then basically, because of attitude problems, didn't look like making it. Career is revitalised at Stoke and goes to West Ham and does well. I agree with you, James, that booing a player isn't productive. But equally, from the West Ham fans' point of view, they're dealing with a player who they've loved, who they've supported, and who basically, at the first opportunity, mid-season, went, hang on, have I got a few more grand being offered in China? Bye, lads. Only a few. <laughs> Only a few, of course. But can you see where they're coming from?
5: You see, that's what I sort of disagree with you, James, because he lost the respect to the fans. The minute he said he was wanting to go to China to win trophies and whatnot, we all knew it was for the money. Why is he? Why is he even saying that? Like, well, it's a very prestigious league. <laughs> apparently, no. <laughs> he can play in the Champions. Oh no, oh no, no, he couldn't do that. <laughs> no. But that's, this is what I'm saying. Like, if that, to, to be honest, if fans want to boo him now after all that's happened and all these videos saying I'm back with a pay increase to the end of the season, to be honest, I don't have much of a deal with that. I, I'm I'm quite for it because. He's lost the respect to the fans. He hasn't performed since. He said, I'll be back and I'm going to push for seventh. So w- what respect is there? Would you boo him, Frankie? I mean, oh.
2: were you there? Did you boo him? Would you boo him?
5: If th- I wouldn't say I would boo him like all the fans were proper booing him, but I can see why just, fans would Just a quiet boo. Him. Just a sort of, boo. yeah, get off. Come on. <laughs> next, your time's up. But but no, I'd, I just, I've I've lost respect for Arnatovic. I think he's done at West Ham and I don't want to see him here next season.
4: I mean, I've always, regardless of your thoughts on 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 Atterwich or any player that you know might have said things that you're not happy with, I've always been against booing your own players. Yeah. Um, because you find it has a negative effect. In the case of On Outwich, is a, is a special case in that you know he's asked to leave, he wanted to leave, he didn't leave. But I suppose the the issue with on Outwich is that you know after that Wimbledon defeat, it comes out. I mean, the PR, the massive mess up from the club in terms of PR like what is it mm. 10 minutes after we lose to Wimbledon in the them, cup yeah. suddenly it's like oh look who signed the new contract and it's like no no no, no this is not <laughs> um, so but he's come out going I'm back I'm going to do this I'm going to do that you know oh, I can't wait to play again in front of the fans and then the, he, he plays in front of the fans he, he hasn't been very good ever since ever since that moment but mm. then the fans boo him and it's like well how would you expect him to start sc- uh, scoring goals for us and wanting to score goals for us and playing well when you're booing him. I get it. Um, he's not. He, he's a shadow of the player that he was. And you know, we're going to set him in the summer. We try and get every, uh, as many millions as we can for him. But I, I just no, I just think we need to get behind him between now and the middle of May, and then just wave. You know, wave goodbye to him.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to the conversation we were having, James, after the Huddersfield game, where we were saying that actually, when the atmosphere at the London Stadium was negative when the team went down, the players didn't really play well at all and as soon as they got one goal back the crowd got up the players got up as well and actually I take your point because even if Arnautovic is being hopeless even if he's behaved badly if you shout at him and tell him he's rubbish he's not going to do a good job he's not going to play for you that's about as close to ranting as I'm going to get about Marco Arnautovic but I know a man who would like to vent properly not just about everyone's favourite love to hate Austrian striker but also the Everton result more generally a West Ham well balls on the line pod and of course West Ham fan show favourite Will Pugh joins us on the line evening mate thanks very much for getting on the line I'm just going to let you Johnny. vent because I want to ask about Arnautovic but first we j- just go but get it all out well, I'm,
3: I think I'm a little bit I'm mainly upset about the fact that there hasn't been much um, woe that I'm
4: not on the show tonight. No, there's, there's, loads of, there's loads of woe. We well, just we just didn't want to bring it up, mate, because we're that upset. But no, well, well, this is the thing. <laughs> we
2: enough. decided it would be more professional to do it off-air, right? So James walked in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a sad embrace. Uh, we cried yeah. into each other's shoulders. Uh, and then okay. Frankie was so good, mate, that frankly you might not be coming back.
3: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that makes you feel a little bit better, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I... I the, the game of the weekend. I know you sort of covered covered most of it, and yeah, I agree with most of what was said by uh, by both of the lads. I think the one thing that did make me laugh, though, that we haven't won four home games in a row since May two thousand and two under Glenn Roder. So I think it might have been a bit of a stretch to assume we were going to do that anyway. It was also Everton, which are a bowden team. So I don't like to say I told Joe. So. I did go you know, guess two all when everyone had a go at me for it. I think Mark Noble apparently was missing for some personal reasons. Uh, So I'm not sure that was. I know there's some clamour sort of surrounding that, his omission, and and obviously Obiang's performance in his place wasn't exactly. uh, Didn't exactly tear any trees up, but I'm I'm led to believe it was a personal reason that he missed that game. Um, But yeah, not very good really, was it? When your goalkeeper's the man of the match and you've lost 2 0 at home, it's just. it, It wasn't impressive by any stretch of the imagination. And I think Marco Silva got it right in his post-match comments when he said that, you know, we were lucky that they weren't 4-0 up at half-time. Zuma's goal was, you know, just like one of the three that Huddersfield managed to score against us. And that's seven goals in three games we've conceded against, you know, Cardiff, uh, Huddersfield, two teams, uh, one that's certainly going down, another one that probably will. And, you know, Everton are going to be mid table this season, I don't wanna don't wanna overdo it 'cause I think the boys have done it already, but just just not really not really that good at all, will it?
4: Mate, what what do you think of the whole on out of which thing? Um I mean you and I have spoken about it a lot in, in previous shows, sort of whether, you know whether he's giving his all, whether he's not, and obviously he gets booed off against Everton. I mean what are your thoughts on sort of what happened in the aftermath? Uh
3: I think damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, really, he <laughs> Yeah, it was it was all a bit of a strange situation in the first place i heard what Frankie said just now which was right about him saying that you know he was he wanted to go on and win silverware that was that was laughable at the time obviously and you should have just come out and said it was about money i i don't think he's he's pulling his weight as much since but i think it's just a mental thing anyway i think the the mental side of of everything that happened his head was obviously turned and that's what he wanted to do. It didn't come to fruition. And I think that's affected him. And we don't know, obviously, what conversations are going on in the background with him, but he's obviously going to be trying to strike up a deal in the summer. And it just feels a little bit like when you're at a job and you've handed your notice in, and if you've got a three-month notice to work, you're not really committed to what you're doing until that day you leave because your your mind's already on the thing that you're doing next. It just you know, I've got that sort of sense about him. And I think, I don't know, the thing afterwards, I think both both parties are right, really. The people in the crowd have paid their money. they got the right to boo or cheer who they want. Um, I'm a bit with you, James, as as much as I think that between now and the end of the season, if we want to do anything at all, special, maybe, you know, I think seventh is probably dead now. But if we wanted to do that, then he might have been the man to do it. But it just, the, the whole thing just seems a bit, from Arnautovic's point of view, the crowd and that and the team, the 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 season's just sort of coming to an end with a whimper, doesn't it?
5: Will, what do you think was the main reason for that performance? Do you think Pellegrini should take most of the blame, or do you think it's the players' performance as much as anything?
3: Well, it was funny actually because I, I spoke to um, or briefly on Twitter with Baz Cox after the game, and he he would come out and was quite damning of Pellegrini. And at first, I was a bit like, "Whoa!" Because I did agree with him. I thought the 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 team selection. I did think it was weird at first. I didn't, I didn't know about the Noble thing until later on. Uh, but I thought that was strange. The Perez, I didn't get that. I, uh, Hernandez's omission, I assumed, was something to do with the international break. But I, I, on the whole, I find it a bit hard to... I find it a bit hard to sort of really give it to Pellegrini. A, because it's sort of a bit like shouting at your grandad. <laughs> is, is that because, something you do often, well. Well, exactly. No, I've never done that in my whole life. Um, <laughs> But not not just that, I just think I'm really glad that he's in charge, and I want him to be there next season, and you know the results forgiving, obviously the the season after and the season after that, I like what he's doing for the club, and I like the idea that he's he's a long term prospect, if you like and so I, I do find it hard to pin all the blame on him, and I think he's done good work in his first season, so now i'd hard to throw throw a load of mud at him, I think after just after a game like that. You disagree, Frankie?
5: No, I think I think Pellegrini got the tactics wrong. I don't think we should have started four four two. I think Antonio should have played in in front of Snodgrass. Um, it would have given us mm. a bit more pace and a bit more bit more of an attacking threat um, because we were very predictable going forwards and hopeless at the back. Um, but no, I think I think the players just didn't perform. That there wasn't an effort from the players. The, the the bare minimum you ask from your players is that they put in a hundred percent. And we were we were at jogging pace for 80 to 85 minutes of the game. Um, so, no, I do agree with what you were saying. I don't think Pellegrini's is completely to blame, but I think he did get it the setup wrong and his stubbornness not to change it was probably costly.
2: Well, it's been great having you on the line. Not quite the same as having you in the studio. We are still weeping silently. We'll have you back soon. And we will, of course, let you get back to shouting at your granddad. But just before we <laughs> do that, I'm going to have to press you for a score prediction for the weekend, mate.
3: No, I fan- yeah, I, I always fancy that. Um, fancy us against Chelsea, we always seem to do all right when we turn up at Stamford Bridge. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually be pretty confident. So I reckon we'll nick it two one.
2: Nick it to one. He's a confident man. He's a West Ham fan show man and he'll be back with us before long. Will Pugh of Balls on the Line pod there. Thanks ever so much for calling in, Will. Now, we've heard a lot about players who could be leaving the club, not least Arnautovic, and coming up we'll talk about a few who could be signing for West Ham. This is Love Sport. It may be the West Ham fan show here on Love Sport Radio, but we have, have of course, got Premier League action from around the country to bring you updates from throughout the show, so we've got Chelsea versus Brighton and Hove, Albion, Man City versus Cardiff City, and also apparently it's a vaguely important night for Tottenham Hotspur. Um, no, it's not even televised, it can't be that important. I've heard something about there's a new bit of grass somewhere mm. in North London and
4: everyone's getting very excited. don't know what you're talking about, um, <laughs> something going on in North London and, um, yeah. it's... I hope they lose desperately. I hope they lose. <laughs> so what is going on in Okay, London? so Tottenham I mean we're just looking at it now and they they've got a little light show going on. It's all really fantastic and This is of course the opening of the new stadium. No, it does look good. No, don't get me wrong. Right, and I'll give it to them. It looks great, but they've got that. They've got that on um on the the back of basically mugging West Ham off of actually buying the London Stadium. Um, and now the taxpayer, as a result of Tottenham's antics many, many years ago when we were going for that, uh, are now paying for West Ham Stadium, and Tottenham have got that instead, so... Who's the real winners here? Who are the, who are the real losers? I don't know. Um, I just hope they lose. It does look very nice. <laughs> They've got some singers on the pitch now. It's quite um, weird, this. It's the opening ceremony. It's, all, sort s- of, it's all strange. They
2: floodlit the centre circle. I was expecting some kind of Olympic style, maybe a nice Tongan bloke with a flag walking through topless. But we've got two people singing and a sort of weird band seemingly consisting of just it's like a choir or something isn't it? there's a choir in the background then there's a couple of trumpeters a couple of drummers uh, and everyone seems to be up for it
4: anyway yeah yeah i think you know if they don't lose tonight then i can, i'm pretty sure west ham will be the first team to beat them uh, uh what they called it, the the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is boring. Um, <laughs> so so, tell us what you really think, James. Um, <laughs> we, we're going to be the first thing. That is, I'm, I hope Palace do the job tonight. I mean, it'd be brilliant if Tottenham don't finish in the top four for obvious reasons because they've made a big deal out about this, haven't they? So um, I don't normally say this, but at the Palace. Go on, what? Palace. <laughs>
2: okay, so I'm going to give you two options. Either, which would you prefer, right? Palace beat Spurs tonight and they ruin their big party, their big opening day, Or Spurs get the win, and it's a happy beginning, but West Ham get to be the ones to ruin the record at the new stadium. Which would you pick?
5: Us every day. Us beating them. Really? 100%. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do it yourselves. Yeah. Make it personal.
2: Or
4: we'll just have both. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well that's
2: another possibility imagine that lord above the pressure pochettino would be under but turning our attentions back to west ham and turning our attentions to the transfer window which will be opening in a couple of months we've heard that Arnautovic will probably be heading for the exit door but in terms of people who could be walking through it in the right direction
5: are there any names you're excited about well there's been a couple come out today gary medel was someone we were linked with back in january a boring signing, something not really to get excited about. <laughs> I was about to say, does that signing <laughs> excite no, you? No, the it does answer not. is apparently not. <laughs> yeah. um, I think Victor Camarasso, Car- he's on loan at Cardiff right now. Um, he's being linked. He's got a 20 million buyout clause or something. Um, I don't know much too about much about him really. I haven't really heard anything about him.
2: He's been quite handy this
5: season. He scored yeah.
2: a very nice goal uh, against Chelsea at the weekend. He's quite good at taking corners. Offers something different. I think in quite an indifferent. Cardiff team going forward he's been the sort of star man I don't think he's been a star Mm. but you know I mean he's been the standout there Gary Medal, I think is quite quite an effective holding midfielder I'd be interested to hear your thoughts James I'm just incapable of looking at him as a potential transfer signing without remembering A, that his one season in English football was for that terrible Cardiff team who got relegated and the second thing is his performances in that season were deemed so bad that Cardiff actually tried to sue the scouts responsible for signing him on grounds (laughs) that they'd overpaid yeah at the beginning Uh, they tried to bring litigation against the then manager as well Malky Mackay who was eventually off the hook it went to the high court it was all very messy so when a player has been so bad that the club tried to sue do the scout, that might be <laughs> perfect for
5: West
1: Ham.
4: <laughs> might be a red flag. That is a red flag. I didn't know that until now. Um I always thought that, you know, if we do sign in then yeah, okay. You could do the numbers in midfield and, you know, you can play in defence as well. You can just be a backup. Mm. but now I've heard that, I mean, we'd rather not.
2: Well, he was really good afterwards, it should be said, went to winter, did well there, he's now in Turkey, been doing quite well there. Yeah,
4: I mean, I've, I've got a thing, no disrespect to Turkey and their league, but I find that the Turkish league these days is is a bit of a graveyard for, for, for players. For Sami Nazri? For for Sami, I mean, Sami Nazri, I mean, we've already seen him, have we really, but when we have seen him, he's been pretty good, but there's been a lot of players that have gone over to Turkey and we've never seen them again um, and it has become a bit of a graveyard so I don't know if if we do sign him and he comes on the cheap or a free then I suppose you, if it's a free transfer I suppose you can't be really turning your nose up at it really. Mm. Um, but there, that aside there are so many other little players that we're, we're been linked with. One player I'd love us to see um, sign and Frank I was to you about it earlier before we went on air is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Mm. Mm. Going to be difficult with um, Chelsea's transfer ban but I think, you know, he's the perfect sort of player that we can get in. Um, it might cost us a few bub, but he can play anywhere across the front three. He'd help Declan Rice out in midfield. Um, he's young, he's hungry. If he does leave Chelsea, he's going to want to prove himself, um, like a lot of players that have left Chelsea and gone on to bigger and better things. I think sort of Declan we- Rice. Declan Rice. Kevin De Bruyne I'm not, um, who else, who Salah. else Salah Lukaku Lukaku so many players have left Chelsea and then gone on to bigger and better things I'm not saying Loftus-Cheek's going to go and then become a like a world-class footballer well he might he might mm. but um, I think he's the sort of player that will leave the club and then you know have something to prove and I think if, if, he, if, he, if we could get someone like him on board um, for what 20 million 20-30 million I think that would be a really shrewd signing a really
5: shrewd signing yeah, that would be a statement of intent because Mark Noble can't play 38 games a season now. Uh, as much as we love him, as much as we'd want him to, just Declan Rice needs another midfielder to balance it out and sort of part- sort of form a partnership with. Because when you've got midfielders coming in and out every game, like Obiang has done, um, it's not easy for Rice to sort of settle down and find a partnership. He can find a solid partner to, to play in midfield with, someone of Loftus-Cheek's quality. Um it would be fantastic for us next season, but it, it's a bit of a unrealistic signing in my opinion because I don't think Chelsea will let him go that easy. The big position in terms of a transfer target for
2: West Ham is striker. If we're assuming that Arnautovic will be going, there's talk of a replacement. We, of course, have seen in January quite heavy linking with uh, Maxi Gomez of Celta Viga. Mm-hmm. But another name that's being talked about, which I think would be an incredible
4: signing, is Andrea Bellotti. Yeah, I mean, I saw this yesterday, and we were linked with him in the in, in January. Big um, money, by the way. It would big be. money. We're, we're talking over forty million quid. Um, but you know, if we can get something like that for an out of it, then that's mm. paid for. Um, but um, Bellotti, I mean, he's an absolute beast on football manager. A few years ago, he's, um, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's ruined many you're, an evening for you're, me. You're, yeah, um, but I mean, he's twenty five now you get the feeling that he probably needs a move away from from Italy to really fulfil his potential. But he's hit double figures in goals for the last four years. With that? For Torino.
2: Do you think he's possibly dining out on a couple of years ago. So this year currently he's got ten in Serie A. Last year he got ten in Serie A. That's a respectable respectable return, one in mm-hmm. three. But it's sixteen seventeen season where everyone started really talking about him. He was linked to Chelsea to United. He scored twenty six in thirty five. He got eight assists. Yeah. If you can get him repeating that kind of form, he will be
4: absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. I think I think he'd he'd be He'd be the the statement of intent, I think that the club needs, and he would be unbelievable. You know, he's he's quick, he's strong, he can certainly finish, as you can see by his goal record for Torino. Um, and he at, at 25, he's still got you know the best the best you know, his best years ahead of him. Uh, there would be question marks on whether he could then repeat that that sort of form sort of outside of Italy, but he's an Italy international, um, so you'd think that he'd be good enough to do so um so i mean if you if you can get him for 40 million then you know you'd, you'd you'd definitely go for it definitely
2: which of him and maxi gomez would you prefer gomez has got 10 goals in la liga as well in 26 this year so you're possibly looking at a fairly similar kind of goal return mm. but quite different players
5: well i've seen a bit of both um when we were linked to maxi gomez in january i started watching a couple of games and i don't think he's scored many since then a, one I think, like one goal yeah and they're turned by west ham yeah um but no, out of the two, I think Bellotti would uh, would definitely suit our style better um, rather than maxi Gomez. But then they're both good strikers and I'd take both, either of them, to be honest. I think they're both an improvement on what we've got at the moment. And the encouraging thing for West Ham is that these aren't sort of slight transfer rumours. They're not the kind
2: of link where you hear it and you go... Nah The Maxi Gomez link Isn't going away He scored 18 goals In La Liga last year And the Belotti one Doesn't seem hopeless So it could be A quite encouraging Summer again
4: Well I, I heard Yesterday that Belotti was upset That he didn't get a move In in January uh, To West Ham Apparently we Went to buy him And Torino Torino mm. were a little bit uh, They were like No he's not going In the middle of the season And he was a little bit Upset about that Obviously that wasn't Made public But behind the scenes He was a little bit Annoyed that it wasn't entertained, so I, was, you know, I reckon if we could go in the early doors in the summer and go right, okay, here's your money. I think there's a big chance that we could get him because, I mean, I would question why a player of his ability would be really, really keen on signing for West Ham. And I, know that we've got, you know, we've got stadium, you know, we're pushing the top ten of the Premier League, but that surely there are other clubs competing in European competition that would be interested in signing him.
2: Well, I'm just thinking, do West Ham have some kind of history of enigmatic Italian forwards?
4: Zar um, Zar, <laughs> Diamant- <laughs> Diamanti was wonderful. Oh, he was fantastic. There, there is there is a big name that springs to mind though. I've Obviously Paolo. Yeah, um, maybe he's watched Paolo you, growing up. And he maybe, breaks. but then you don't compare to Paolo. No one compares to Paolo. <laughs> no one. Is that the West Ham version of Nothing Compares to You?
2: Yes. Yeah, that would yeah. be quite a good cover. Maybe you should do a West Ham World version, just staring at a framed picture of Decanio. <laughs> Yeah, I'll do that most nights. (laughs) That and writing to the FA going, where is Mark Noble's England cap? Where is it? It needs to happen. (laughs) Stay with us here on the West Ham Fan Show because coming up, chances of finishing seventh for the club. Have they blown it? This is Love sport. Sport. The race for 7th. It might not be the most glamorous race in the Premier League but it's an important one because of course it can lead to qualification for the Europa League. Something we talked about a lot on this show. Is it something West Ham can achieve? Is it something West Ham should want to achieve? But it was a bad, bad weekend for West Ham. Not just in terms of their results but in terms of results around them.
4: Well it started okay. Saturday half past four Saturday afternoon I thought brilliant Hmm. we've got a chance Watford lost um, Wolves lost it was a brilliant win today going to seventh happy days Um, and then obviously that didn't happen and then last night Wolves win Watford win and suddenly we're we're five points adrift and in 11th Do you think um, it's gone? I think it's gone Um, I mean part of me even thinks that it was never really there and the reason why I think that was because We've had, now we've had five opportunities. It's like you're to, talking after a breakup, James. I know, I know. You <laughs> never really I real? mean, did You hear my voice crack a little <laughs> bit there, almost, <laughs> almost bursting into tears. Um, I, the reason why I think that is because five times this season we've had the opportunity to win and go seventh, mm. and we've lost every single one of them, all of them to teams that we should be beating Bournemouth, Everton, um, I think probably Burnley. Burnley. I think. Um, and that's frustrating. That's really, really frustrating. I just think that it's, it's clearly not meant to be this year.
5: No, I agree. Um, I think that's it now of the fixtures we've got coming up. As you said, I don't think it was really there. Um, we were sort of flirting with it a bit, but we never really made a statement and actually pushed into top seven to sort of put the other teams under pressure. It was always us under the pressure and we bottled it every time. So I think that's gone now. We should just target top ten Um get our summer business sorted quite early, try and get the players that want to leave, get them out and get fresh new players in. And hopefully Pellegrini's second season, we can judge him a bit more on that because he would have had his first season now out of the way. The second season's the one we should be judging him on, in my opinion. We've talked a lot about that so-called big team mentality.
2: I think... We can't avoid the fact that what you were just saying there, James, that when you've had these opportunities to capitalise, to play against teams you should be beating and break into that higher level, you haven't done it. Whereas in the games that seem to be less important or have less riding on them, the success is there. Do you think this team is struggling to cope with pressure?
4: I think there is an aspect of that in there. Um, But then... a lot. Of, actually, to be fair, you're right. I think a lot of players um, have come out recently and said that you know um, it's it's not we, we don't have that that right mentality there. You know, the big team mentality is all very well, but you know, if you're going to have big team mentality, you need to be able to play in every single situation, uh, in every single scenario, with all the pressure on you or with no pressure on you, should still be able to play at the same level. Uh, clearly, they haven't got that. I don't know whether it's a case of it's been. Pellegrini's tried to instil a lot of that too much too soon on them Mm. in that it's been you know here I am you know world class manager I've won the Premier League before Um, this is how I want you to play this is how you want to think Um, go off and do it Uh, and then after a while they've gone oh oh, blimey (laughs) I don't know how to do this Um, it's worked in stages and we've seen it work you know it's not as if we've only beaten the top 6 this year. We have beaten, you know, teams around us. Yeah. Um but it's not been consistent enough and I think that's the issue. Um and I think you're right Frankie in that the second season is is going to be the one that we judge Pellegrini on because he would have had two summers in terms of a transfer window. I think last summer the 100 million pound outlay was laying the foundations for what's to come. Um and we have had our, our bad luck with injuries which seems to be every year forever mm-hmm. that we always have injuries to key players so by next season we'll have Yarmolenko back and hopefully a batch you know, a batch of players at the club that want to play for us A quick
2: goal update from the Etihad, you've got to feel for Cardiff, six minutes in it's City 1, Cardiff 0, could be a long night for the Bluebirds Kevin De Bruyne making it 1 very very early on, the assist there from Aymeric Laporte Is the potential of missing out on 7th for West Ham a possible blessing in disguise? I mean, it's one of those things where we've, we've talked, do we want it? Do we want to miss out on it? It's almost the kind of thing where you only realise that you actually wanted to finish seventh when you don't. But come the beginning of next season, particularly if you get a nasty start to the season in terms of fixtures, might you n- just look back on this and think, actually, you know what, we dodged a
5: bullet there. I think it's a bit of both. I think our squad is good enough to finish seventh, which is why it annoys me. That we're not sort of up there right now, and we're now five points behind the likes of Watford and Wolves, who are having good seasons. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think it could be a blessing in disguise because I don't think our squad is ready for Europe, um, and especially with all the players that could be leaving this summer, coming back early for European extra, what three, four, five extra European games, could be a, could take a toll on our on our Premier League season for next year. So. Maybe it is a bit of a blessing in disguise. Um it gives Pellegrini a bit more chance to improve his squad and as I said, we'll we'll judge him on the second season and I think next season is when we should be targeting Europe when he's made two lots of summer transfer windows his own. I, yeah, I agree with that. And I think we've spoken before,
4: um that it's all very well finishing seventh and you know, you got you can say, Oh yeah, we finished seventh that year but yeah, what happened the following year where well, you, you started your season on the third of Jamf, uh, July. Uh, and you got beat by the Romanian giants of Astro G- you say it. <laughs> Very nicely pronounced um thank you. And uh I mean a lot of people, uh, you know, laugh at us for the whole Astra thing. Um, I'd rather not go through that again, even if Astra are quite, you know, quite a good side. So weird this, one of my, my housemates,
2: go- and he said one of my housemates' girlfriends, if she's listening, he's just got the one. But my housemate's <laughs> girlfriend is called Astra, and I find it so odd here, beaten by Astra, you think, what, what's going on?
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. But no, I just think that, you know, just the last thing we need. Is I mean, given what's happened previously, and we've seen it with Everton last year, Burnley this season, it tends to ruin the rest of your season if you have to go into the Europa League in those sort of early qualifiers, the first qualifying round, do three or four rounds before you get to the the group stage. Um, I just don't think we need that. You know what we should have done, um, and we touched on it earlier. We should have prioritised the FA Cup. And we should have gone on one the FA Cup and gone straight into the group stages. If we, if the club wants to be in the European competition, we need to forget trying to finish seventh and and trying to then get through all the qualifiers and start your season in June or wherever it is, and actually go and try and win a trophy. Try and win the League Cup or the Carabao Cup. That's the most attainable trophy mm. there is to win. And the club and, and this season, I know you know we got you know we weren't lucky with a draw in the Carabao Cup in terms of we got Tottenham, but like, come on. Let's do it Let's do it with a way we can Give actually celebrate a it. A bit of glory, you know, rather than go, oh, you know, just when well, we finish seventh. And when
2: you lads look at the current team still in the FA Cup, do you look at that and think, actually,
5: there is there is a possibility there. If we were still in this, we could have won it. Yeah, exactly. You've got the likes of Watford and Wolves now in it, and Brighton. Three teams that I feel like we have a better team than maybe Wolves is a bit debatable, but I'd fancy us against any of those three teams. Um And what pains us more is the fact that if we'd have beat uh, Wimbledon, we'd have had Millwall and Brighton in the lead up to a chance to go to Wembley, which would have been fantastic for the club and the fans. And ultimately the owners, it would have really helped them get the fans get off their back a bit Mm. and show a bit, bit of intent to go and win something rather than, like you said, James, just sort of flirt with seventh and not really aim to win anything.
4: I mean, you look at it now, and you, you know Wolves and Watford both in it. They're both you know, playing each other this weekend in the semi-final. Those two both could conceivably be finished seventh. They're both battling for seventh. Mm. I would argue that both of those sides are going, don't really want to finish seventh. We'd rather win the FA Cup because it's a route straight into the group stages. Yeah. So I would say that whoever loses, um, whoever loses that. Uh, that semi-final between the two will probably finish seventh, but you know, because that's their, that's their last opportunity to to try and get into European competition. You know, mm. whoever wins that game is probably going to go. Well, you know, we've got an opportunity here, um, and I just think those two teams have done it right. They still battled for seventh, but then they've gone. But we can win a cup as well. Mm. Like, why haven't we done that?
2: It had to be the target, particularly because we'll be looking at the run-in in in a lot of detail at the moment. But a recent article from the Daily Telegraph listed West Ham's run-in as the third hardest in the whole of the league. So it could be a tough, tough couple of months. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow, and I'm joined in the studio by James Jones and Frankie Levin of West Ham World. Time to turn our attentions to the run-in, specifically West Ham's run-in, and it actually makes for quite creepy reading. Yeah, you say that,
4: but we've been better against the top six so this season. So You'd rather have City, 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 Liverpool. No, you can leave City out of that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it is quite difficult on paper, isn't it? I mean, Chelsea away on Monday, and then, what is it after that, Man United away? Man United away. And then we've got Leicester at home, and then Tottenham away, which Tottenham away, we're already winning, we've already decided. Yeah, we, that. we've established yeah, that straightforward. That. So that's three points. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it when I looked at fixtures the, the other day. We've only got two home games left, um, which is annoying, really, because, you know, at a time when we kind of need to get our form back, we've been awful away from home recently, mm. over the last few months. And now we've got to spend the, most of the rest of the season away from home. So it's frustrating. But, I mean, as we've already kind of established, you know, the season's kind of over now. So it's just kind of, if we, you know, our we've still got to play Southampton, um, Watford and Leicester mm. outside the teams. So we've still got to play in the top six. Pick up points against those and I reckon a top ten finish is doable. Um, but we've still got to rely on those teams and teams around us to drop points when we are also dropping points against the top six. Um, which is difficult, so I wouldn't be surprised if we, we, we end the season in limp or 12th, if I'm honest.
5: Yeah, I think, well, like you said, we haven't won away since December. Um, Chelsea haven't lost at home since December, so it's going to be a tough one to go there and actually get something from it. But we've been quite, quite good at Stamford Bridge in recent years. We drew one all there last season. Um, and like you said, we do better against the top six, so it wouldn't surprise me if we got something from the Chelsea game. Um, Man United were playing... Playing them in between their their Champions League games against Barcelona could have one eye off of it, but it's very wishful thinking, I must say, but you never know with West Ham.
2: The problem with City is they can have both eyes off it, play their third team and still have a sort of Champions League level side out on the Mm. pitch. I'm interested that both run-ins for Watford and West Ham end with each other. It's Vicarage Road on the 12th of May, that's the last game of the season. Do you think that could be a sort of playoff for seventh place, or do you think you might be out the running
4: before that? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I looked at it and went, "That could that could potentially be the case." You know that you know, whoever wins that gets it. But now, after what's happened over the last maybe seven to ten days, I think that I don't think we will be in it. Um, I think we might just be a little bit a little bit short, even with a win. Um, it might be a case of we beat them and, and and finish ninth, or potentially eighth. And, you know, I think Wolves will finish seventh in the end. Mm. Um and it might be a case that we beat them into eighth on that day, but you know, I, I a couple of weeks ago you could have said, Yeah, that could be the shootout for for seventh, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I think, you know, that we've we've missed the boat with that defeat against Everton, given the results that went our way at the weekend. Um and when you also consider the runner fixtures we've got coming up, you know. Frankie's right we have been pretty good against Chelsea over the last couple of seasons uh, away from home um, and even at home Mm. Um, but you know Chelsea they've still got a huge opportunity to finish in the top four they can't really afford not to finish in the top four this season do you think they will? Uh, (laughs) it's looking pretty tough for them now it's looking tough Um, it's difficult to say I mean you know Sorry, doesn't like changing from his tactics weirdly enough um, and it seems at this stage of the season a lot of teams are beginning to cotton onto that and uh, trying to expose that a little bit which is working against them a little bit but it seems worryingly simple, doesn't
2: it? That If you stick a bloke on Jorginho, Chelsea suddenly aren't going to play. Uh, they're currently nil-nil with Brighton. The other scores are City one nil up against Cardiff. And for that grand opening, the upset is still on the cards. It's Tottenham nil, Crystal Palace nil. Of course, the guys in the st- in the studio with me are really supporting Spurs. They want them to enjoy their big evening and just have a really nice start to life in their new
4: home. Uh, I don't know who else you've got in the studio, but <laughs> uh, yeah, not over here. Um, yeah, come Palace. You know, I mean, me and Will, we were about last last week about that that video of the Tottenham fan crying because he was so amazed oh. at how, how great the stadium was. And he was going, oh, it's, it's incredible. I had a chat with the Spurs
2: fans, by the way, about that. I said that we'd been talking about that on the show and that you guys have been going... Have a word with yourself, not just because he was crying, but also because the absolutely terrible clobber he had on at the same time. Yeah, they were having none of it. They said, Listen, it's emotion. It's this the stadium is so good that grown man will and should cry. Well,
4: hopefully, they'll be crying tonight after <laughs> <laughs> for very <laughs> I different I won't have reasons. that. I, I don't get that at all. I don't get that at all. You can't cry over a stadium, but you, right, cry- stadium. you can cry if you've le- left the stadium, and and you can cry, cry over a game, br- couldn't you? You can cry over a, yeah a game that means something. Um, you can cry when you leave a stadium. You know, I I will openly admit I cried on, when we left Upton Park, brought my eyes out, uh, and I'm sure Tottenham fans did, you know, the same on their last day at, uh, White Hart Lane before they moved back into White Hart Lane. Um, <laughs> but yeah, not when you just walked into a stadium and gone. Oh, look, this is this is impressive. Come Ooh, on, there's a cheese room. I I better oh, weep. Oh look, there's a four pound beer. But they fell up from
2: the bottom, James. Come on. Uh, Or in that case, then, pull your eyes
4: out. Fill the pint up with your
2: tears. (laughs) Might be there a while, or perhaps not. He was going for it. Uh, You wonder whether the fans will get on their backs tonight. I mean, we've heard so much. I mean, I say we. I have heard so much from the Spurs fans on the Spurs fan show about how wonderful the stadium is, and their bang-on it is, and how incredible the atmosphere is going to be, because everyone's so excited. As you point out, James, not so much to just be moving into a new ground, but also to be moving home but this is a big game it's an absolutely huge evening for Spurs the result is vitally important the form they're on is shoddy at best and you just think if it gets to 65 70 it's still nil nil let alone Crystal Palace leading do you think that those fans might change from excitement to get on with it
5: um potentially yeah there could be a sense of wanting a bit more urgency from them but I don't think they'll have many problems tonight. I think they'll win. Um, and if we, if West Ham had the chance to, um, to, to build a stadium where Upton Park was, brand new stadium, mm. how fantastic would that have been? So yeah, you, you yeah. can't really complain at how excited they've been with the stadium and the move. And looking at our move compared to theirs, but then again, look at the prices of their tickets. It's ridiculous. So. It works in both ways. Yes, they get in a fantastic stadium, but look at the prices they're having to pay for it. The focus, of course, for us is on games
2: played either in West Ham Stadium or by West Ham away. One such fixture is Chelsea on Monday. And coming up, we'll be getting the opposition view from Ghajan Karbis, who is editor at Chelsea Fancast.
3: This is Love
2: Sport. Yep, it's that time in the show where we hear from the team who West Ham are up against next and I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Heon Carbis, who's an editor at Chelsea Fancast and who has really kindly, it has to be said taken time out from watching his beloved Blues who are currently tying 0-0 with Brighton to chat to us Heon, thanks ever so much, how are you? And are you okay, confident, thanks. are you glad to hear it are you confident first of all about tonight's game? Uh,
0: about tonight's game, I think yes uh, purely because Sari's been far more creative, far more intuitive, and far more adaptive with the lineup. I think he's made seven changes tonight, which is um, quite immense. It's an immense number for the Premier League, particularly given his sub- uh, stubbornness and um, recent narrow mindedness. And I think that in the early stages of this game, it's probably been one of the most fluid uh, renditions of Sari ball that we've seen in the second half of this season. So, from that aspect, I am quite optimistic for this game, particularly given the fact that Brighton have an FA Cup semi-final to look forward towards on the weekend but uh, uh, you know focusing on Monday night against yourself I'm not so confident <laughs> of, a, of a result on that occasion
4: hey, um I think you, know, you just touched on it there that you know Richard Sari has been quite stubborn quite narrow-mindedness I mean pretty much for the entire season really he's not really strayed away from, from what he believes in and what's working and what isn't working you know I mean what are your thoughts on Sari in, in, in that respect do you think that you know, he deserves another crack at it next season. You know, depending on whether you do finish in the top four or not, or do you, would you rather see the back of him, regardless?
0: To be honest with you, I'd rather see the back of him, and purely because when he when he was appointed Chelsea manager, he said that his primary responsibility was to improve the players that he had at his disposal and he wasn't particularly interested by the transfer market and now it seems that sort of the rhetoric the narrative has changed to sarri will only be able to fully implement his desired style of play with the necessary um, additions in terms of technical players who are well attuned to playing free flowing expansive football so that's one primary contradiction Already and secondly, it's almost as if that he's been so narrow-minded and so. Sort of loyal to a system that hasn't got the best out of his players. It's quite bizarre, and, and, and particularly since the tin of the year, my, my problems with Saru was predominantly more with the performances rather than the results, but of late you've seen uh, a sudden, uh, quite a sudden deterioration in results, of course, I think most notably the 6-0 demolition of the F. He had the 4-0 defeat at the Vitality, but even in games such as the 2-0 defeat at the Emirates to Arsenal, the 2-0 defeat at Goodison, the 1-1 draw against Wolves, you know, we were devoid of imagination, devoid of intuition, devoid of any creativity, there's no enterprise in You know, this is an individual who was brought to the club to institute attractive, free-flowing, expansive football, and there's anything but that at the moment. And, you know, particularly if the transfer ban does come into effect, then, you know, that's almost a, a, an insurmountable impediment to any potential success. So it is quite worrying in that regard. And I think that's probably um, sort of the, the reasoning behind... Um, my, uh, my, my, my stance at the moment
5: on, um regards to Callum Hudson-Odoi um, he's, he's been heavily in, in the media recently uh, given his fantastic performance for England arguably their best player the other day um, he starts tonight for the first time do you think he's almost been bullied into starting him there?
0: Well, yes, I do, but I think it's almost justifiably so, considering the fact that you have Willian and Pedro, who are both ageing. Despite the fact they've been tremendous servants to the club, we have to recognise that their their influence is dwindling in that regard. And um, you know, you, you you look at the the statistical output of Pedro this season, and he's having the best goal scoring season he's had in the Premier League, but his overall um, influence, you know, sort of beyond the remit of the final third of the pitch, I think you can. it's fair to say that that's that, that, uh, dwindling. And considering, of course, the uncertainty that surrounds Eden Hazard's immediate future, you know, this is a time where Chelsea should be looking to build for the future, particularly um, taking the transfer ban into account. With Callum Hudson-Dodoy at the heart uh, of that um, future, not you know an individual whose whose immediate future is fraught with great uncertainty due to the intensified uh, interest from Bayern Munich and also murmurs of other European clubs looking at him, and you know we should be we should be entrusting him with significant involvement, more frequent involvement in the Premier League is almost an indication of the value in which the club placed in him, of the faith in which the club faced in him. And, you know, Chelsea, uh, as you all well know, that uh, our, our record that youth integration isn't particularly favourable. And I think <laughs> That's died. one
2: way of putting it here on. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: quite <laughs> diplomatic of me, if I do say so myself. But, uh, you know, it's, it, this is an opportunity with the likes of Callum Hudson-Odoi, with Ethan Ampadu. you look at Mason Mount and Reese James, who are thriving out on loan. Um, given sort of the current economic circumstances of the club as well, the recent financial pragmatism, the uncertainty with Roman Abramovich, this is the most opportune moment in Chelsea's uh, recent history to make purposeful strides in youth development. And I think it would be a, a, a complete waste if if Callum Hudson-Odoi isn't convinced to stay at the club, and I think it'll be a decision that will rule for many years to come.
2: No, you're absolutely spot on, Hion. and as an England fan, it's just fantastic to see him starting in the Premier League. Looking at that upcoming game against West Ham, obviously Hudson-Odoi could feature there, he could be an issue for the Hammers, but from a Chelsea perspective, is there anyone in that West Ham squad who worries you?
0: Um, I sort of think it's an interesting question. I think what I'm most concerned about is the treatment that Declan Rice and Mark Noble give to Jorginho in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, purely because, of course, I think people can uh, can sort of sense that our reliance on um, on Jorginho is palpable. It's quite excessive and even Cardiff demonstrated it and they were mightily unfortunate at the weekend not to beat us in, in many ways. But they recognised the importance of nullifying Jorginho and also restricting David Luiz's capability of playing um, long balls it's been a, a quite a, a good source for us tonight and in recent weeks you've seen that a lot of Chelsea's goals have stemmed from David Lewis playing incisive passes from the back and if you can Limit those two players, you know, considering the fact that Declan Rice and, and Mark Noble, although they are quite technically gifted, they are also very physical, sort of very abrasive. They'll contain the space, they'll do the dirty work necessary, and I think that's probably my most my, my most significant concern, uh ahead of Monday night is the fact that if you two manage, if those two manage to negate the influence of Jorginho, then essentially you negate Chelsea.
4: Hion, you mentioned uh, you, you say all that about you know how. A lot of clubs, and particularly how um, how like Rice and, uh, and Noble could do a bit of a job on Jorginho. But I don't know if you remember, but at, at London Stadium only this season, West Ham actually did the opposite to great effect. In that we allowed Jorginho a lot of time on the ball. I think he mo- he made the most attempted passes in Premier League history in that game, um, and we actually blocked off his 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 options in terms of just basically man marks uh, uh, Eden Hazard for for ninety minutes. And that seemed to work. So, again, that's, that's another worry for, for Chelsea perhaps to consider in that you know, teams are, are either man-marking Jorginho and completely blocking him out of the game or they're actually just stepping him off letting him play but then just cutting off his options.
0: Mm, I think that's a pertinent point. Hopefully, if Sarri learns his lessons from tonight in recent um, fixtures that he'll... Chooses starting eleven based on merit as opposed to his uh, preference, and you know hopefully we'll see increased mobility and increased fluidity in that team. on Monday night, you know, if you look at the likes of Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, Callum Hudson-Odoi, people who are capable of going in behind, exploiting that space and drawing players out of position. Um, but yeah, I think I think you raised a very very pertinent point there, uh, James, considering the fact that you know Jorginho has been restricted in his influence, but. I think to counter your point, you have to recognise that particularly in recent games against um, West Ham, that we've totaled an immense number of shots. And I think it, particularly in the last three league games, um, you know the draw earlier in the season, the, the 0-0 at the London Stadium, even the 1-1 at Stamford Bridge last season and um, the defeat uh, in the 2016-17 um, uh, season as well. There's just the number of shots that we amassed. And, and fail to score, and it's been a very familiar narrative for Chelsea this season. Create chances, you know, you could argue about how purposeful they are, but create chances, fail to score. Um, the opposition take the lead, and only twice this season the Chelsea have come back from uh, behind to win a game. And coincidentally, both of those who were against Cardiff, and one was uh, completely unjustifiable. So you know, it is an interesting. I don't know dynamic. what
2: you're talking about, Keon. <laughs> Unjustified?
0: <laughs> Whatever next? Uh, it's been lovely. I have to say, it, it, it did make the scenes near the away end all the more enjoyable, though.
2: Yeah, and everyone loves watching Neil Warnock absolutely lose his rag. So that was that was <laughs> quite something. Keon, it's been lovely speaking to you. Can I press you for a score prediction
0: for the West Ham game? Oh goodness me! Uh, probably a score draw, I'll say.
2: Score draw. He's not a confident man, Keon, You've just got a lot more popular in the studio, mate. Thanks ever <laughs> so much for joining us, Kion Carbis, there, who is editor at Chelsea Fancast. We've heard the Chelsea side of things coming up. Let's see how West Ham should set. This is Love Sport. Up. I've just witnessed James Jones of West Ham World say, "I just want to see it flick up." Crystal Palace 1, Spurs nil. We've been discussing the possibility of a former hammer turning out for uh, Palace, possibly being the person to sink Spurs on their big day. Could it happen? Well, either Quillate or Tompkins could do it, couldn't they? So we've got two chances out Did, of 11. Do you yeah. think particularly Tompkins as a West Ham boy will be particularly up for it tonight?
4: Yeah, what uh, what Spurs don't know is that we've strategically placed them in there. <laughs> you look years yeah, ahead. We, we nice. knew what was going to happen. <laughs> Um, And it's going to happen. Both of them will score.
2: Both of them will score in a 2-0 win for Palace. You heard it here first. In terms of West Ham's players who are currently still at the club, they'll of course be turning their attentions to Chelsea on Monday. Keon Carbis, their editor at Chelsea Fancast, wasn't writing West Ham off by any means. He said he probably thought it would be a draw. And it was a draw the last time out between these two teams in the league. It was nil-nil at home. West Ham got their setup up right. We've just seen, by the way, Chelsea have just gone 1-0 up against Brighton. Olivier Giroud, the man constantly lambasted for supposedly not scoring, despite being third in France's all-time top scorers list, has given them the lead there nil 0 though, the last time out with West Ham. It was a very solid tactical performance. Mm. Should the way you set up on that day be replicated?
4: Yes. Um, you know, as we established earlier, Sari. We, we know how Chelsea are going to uh, shape up. We know how they're going to play. Uh, they've been doing it all season. Sari, despite never winning a trophy in his career, still sticks with the exact same system. So that was such glee. Well, it's, it, I just don't get it with, with sorry, uh, And I was talking to some colleagues about it earlier. He's never won a trophy. Do you think it's because it's fashionable and it's kind of hipster but, football? Yeah, but at what point do you go, this isn't really working for me as a manager. I've not won <laughs> anything. Uh, and somehow he's managed to, to land the, the Chelsea job with it. But, you know, that's probably another conversation. But I think we know how, how they're going to line up. We know how they play. We know how, you know, he likes to give Jorginho the ball and a little bit of freedom, you know, to try and pull the strings. And we perfectly dealt with that in a different way that other teams have done it. And I said uh, when Keon was on the phone a minute ago that, you know, we allowed Jorginho the ball, we allowed him to, you know, do what he wanted with it. We didn't really press him, we didn't do anything. But then what we did is we cut off his options. You know, we had two men on hazard. Um, we had William covered, we had Pedro covered. So all their runners uh, were were covered. So Jorginho was literally left with the ball, you know, basically passing it back to us because we were intercepting and I think you know if we can if we can replicate that, it'd be a lot harder at Stamford Bridge, admittedly. But if we can replicate that, then I see no reason why um, why we can't get a result of some kind.
5: In that game we played, a midfield free of Rice, Noble, Obiang, would you do the same again?
4: Uh, I think so. Yeah, um, I don't see why not. I think particularly over the last few games, you know, the way that we've we've shaped up, you know, has left us vulnerable, given the amount of goals that we conceded. Uh, and the way that we <laughs> lined up against Everton we've already <laughs> spoken about it, it just didn't work. So yeah, I would I would do that and and, and that was in a stage of the season where we were just beginning to start picking up some results after losing our first four games. I think the Chelsea result came just after the Everton win, which mm-hmm. was our first of the season. Yep. Um and that was arguably one of our best performances of the season away from home. Um so yeah, I would. I would play that play that system.
5: Another quick question. On would you start him? Oh. That is a great question. That's a massive Um,
4: question. I just, I I don't know. I just don't know whether, do do we start him and then risk him? And then boo him. Yeah. (laughs) Why not? I've just been given an absolutely filthy look
2: by James Jones of West Ham. I mean a proper, I will stab you off
4: microphone glare. I do (laughs) apologise. I didn't mean it. Um, No, I it's, it is a difficult one and it's a good question, Frankie, Because you. Because know, you start him and he, he either plays out the skin because he's got something to prove um, or you start him and we get nothing out of him like we have for the last couple of months. Uh, or you start Hernandez, who for me I think was very harsh to drop him against Everton. I know he had to do a bit of travelling in the, in the international break but I, I personally I'd start Hernandez. I think he's he's the form player in that in that front three. Do you, you think he's as effective
2: when he's not coming off the bench?
4: Uh perhaps not, but I think, you know, I don't think he's started as many games as he's as he's come off the bench for us mm. and not in a in a real sort of run of games to actually try and prove himself from from the start from the start. So I'd start him. Uh he came off the bench at Bridge last year and got us the point. Mm. But this year I'd start him from the off.
5: Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I wouldn't start Obiang. I'd start Lanzini because yeah, I think yeah. we need a bit of creativity in there. And I'd bring Antonio in for Snodgrass um, and hopefully Anderson's fit so he can go back on the left. And I think we've got a bit of, bit of pace to get in behind Chelsea and defensively they're not really that good. I think we could cause them problems if we play to our strengths rather than sort of try and nullify their strengths. But yeah, we're going to have to be very cautious in the way we do it. We can't just go all out attack. Um, it's going to have to be a really good performance if we're mm. going to get at least a point.
2: Do you think it's a good time to be playing Chelsea?
5: Yes and no. Yes, because they've got Europa League and they're not in the best form, the manager. But then they've got, they've got the likes of Loftus-Cheek and uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, who are now coming into the team with a point to prove. And the games against the likes of West Ham are those sort of games where they'll be trying to get into the team for the remainder of the season.
4: We also have to consider that, you know, as I said before, they can't afford not to finish in the top four this year. No, it's because absolutely crucial. Th- there's no guarantee that they're going to win the Europa League. No, and um, they
2: definitely lose Hazard if they don't, whereas yeah, they only probably do if exactly. they get it. And yeah.
4: it's still achievable for them, um, particularly in the way that Tottenham are playing at the moment. You know, I think it's what, four defeats in their last five? Um, that uh, it'll be five defeats in the last six after t- tonight. So <laughs> well, to it's still nil nil uh, on their big night. It could happen. It's it's tr- it was true, obviously. Man United didn't do anyone any flavours last night by losing to Wolves, but. I think, you know, Chelsea have got a real. Uh, There's a real danger of them not finishing the top four. So they've got to start picking up results between now and the end of the season. Mm. And that they will be looking at us at Snap Bridge. West Ham at Snap for Bridge going, right, that's got to be Must three win. points. Must win.
2: Absolutely. And it's a big game for West Ham, of course. And it's that point in the show where I put you two on the spot and ask you for your score predictions. So it's Arsenal versus. Arsenal versus? West Ham
5: versus Chelsea. What's going to happen? Um. I think we, my heart says... One all. My head says about three nil to Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
4: I'm going to go two one West Ham. Two, we we won't keep a clean sheet, never do.
2: Nah, but the three points could be there. Fingers crossed. Will Arnautovic feature? Will he get booed? Is that it for him in a West Ham shirt? I'm afraid you'll have to join us next week. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news, and views. Or for more, follow us at Lovesport Radio on Twitter. On the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio to find out.
5: Sport Social Podcast Network.